Greetings and welcome to Inside Baseball with Old Chestnut. I'm Liam Allen with my friend Morse Sacks. How you doing, MD? Can you play that again? You know, I could just end the show if you want. We could just post that. <laughs> yeah, we, we're a little short on material. We're short on material. We need. We kind of needed that the back time into the network feed. Um, by the way, on, speaking of short on material. Speaking of short on material, if I may interrupt, perhaps <laughs> do some housekeeping uh, before we proceed with a 155th episode of Inside Baseball. It's actually like 104, but for all of you that have been with us since the beginning, you know that we have been thought leaders, okay? We <laughs> spearheading the zeitgeist, okay? We drive the conversation forward here at Inside Baseball. For two years now, okay? And as you know, many of our conversations have entered the zeitgeist, okay? Some have been credited, others have not. And we would just want to thank everyone that listens to the show because we have fun doing it. We know the guys that listen to the show, the guys and the girls that listen to the show enjoy it. And that's what it's all about. We're just here to have fun and we want to help you guys. So if you learn something during the show, that's great. And if you want to write a note and maybe use some of our ideas, that's also great because it just amplifies our voices, okay? And we have refused a lot of money and a lot of offers from big networks and big VCs that want to give us money and pour money into the show. And we have declined every cent because this is a fun thing for me and Morris on the weekend. We just want to chit chat. You guys are welcome to listen. Okay. So welcome back to all the friends of ours that have been here from the beginning. Okay. The Ethan Fanchels, the Seth Wingarders, Mr. Muir, the Anthony Peters, who I got to talk about him too. Don't let me forget. Okay. So all of our old friends, welcome back to another episode. And, and that- new to Inside Baseball, that's what we do. It's just a fun conversation between friends. You're welcome to listen and learn. A quick shout out to uh, Cash Bandicoot yes. down under, right? Yep. Of course. Yes. Cash Bandicoot, um, yep. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of uh, housekeeping, um, there were a couple of things last week when I went through and um, uh, we missed in post-production I wanted to uh, to go over. I had mentioned uh, that there was a guy whose name, I don't know that I couldn't remember it, or I think I, I uh, gave the wrong name, but sort of the guy to me that was the original genesis of the internet. And his name is Claude Shannon. Okay. And I sent you that paper, I think, The Mathematical Theory of Communication. Yep. Um, a lot of formulas, but there's a chart on page two that uh, anybody uh, could simply look at and I think in a very uh, concise manner shows uh, the the genius that this guy came up with. Um, anyway, the second thing is I talked about as a risk manager, uh, there were a couple of tells yes. that I could tell. One was uh, them perseverating and the example was your friend William Ackman. Uh, the other, and it got knocked out, I think, because of the software. But I talked about the noise on a trading desk 
and I tried to replicate it, but it didn't come through. Basically, that noise is just a deep sigh. It doesn't come through. The however, the software yeah, like a tire deflating. <laughs> just it's just sort of like a tire deflating and frustration, and uh, um, so that's sort of cleaning up uh, yeah. a little bit of last week. This week, uh, there was a lot going on. First and most importantly, did you see John Wick? <laughs> no? No. No. Oh. What did he do? Okay. He, what did he save somebody off railroad tracks or something? <laughs> Probably. I mean, yeah. It's Keanu. I was going to say, is it Keanu? Like, what, yeah, what did yeah. the hero do this week? <laughs> well, I see, I didn't go. I had scheduled a uh, <laughs> a date with my wife to go. But in the morning, I decided I wanted to, to ride because the weather finally cleared here a bit. So I did a, uh, it was 18 miles with 2,100 feet of climbing. Ugh. And it took me about two hours. Ugh. And when I got home and I realized if I did that six times, yeah. that would be the equivalent of Leadville, yeah. except I'd have to do it at 10,000 feet higher in elevation. <laughs> Just thinking about that, isn't that disgusting? And you're like, sign. Where do I sign up? <laughs> exactly. I, I'm kind of wondering what uh, broken human you are. <laughs> yeah. When all else fails. Um, speaking when all else fails. Um, Sunday night, last Sunday night, uh, on the inner sanctum, uh, Anthony Peters who, uh, by the way, is doing a charity drive. We could talk about maybe later, mm -hmm. or you could reach out to him directly. Mm -hmm. uh, he sent around this note that these things called the AT1 bonds yes. were uh, defaulting and that this was going to be a major calamity because it was an example of debt being wiped out before equity. And me being Mr. Open-Minded, I said, you know, it sounds like a Sunday night rumor. Let's wait and see. And of course, <clears throat> Anthony, 100% correct. Um, so what's that thing I say four times a month when there's a problem, everyone pulls out the operating agreement. Mm -hmm. So I went and I got the bond prospectus and uh, sure enough, in there, I, I forget the page. I want to say it's page 44, but I don't remember exactly. It basically said if the capital ratio goes below X, I think it was 7%, these bonds become worthless. Oh, bye. Okay. So, um, you know, who's the fool, right? So I, I'm going to see if I can find something on... Uh, my screen without losing the uh, broadcast. Okay, I'm gonna quote something here. Um, for the options business, there exists another sort of contract form from which it is evident when and where the premium was paid and what kind and of what kind are the signatory's obligations. The forms of hypothecating are different also. Stamped paper is used for them upon which regulations concerning the dividends 
and other details are set down so there can be no doubt and no disagreement regarding the arrangements. Okay, so that's pretty clear, right? Does that seem pretty clear? Yeah, I mean, it's a ton of words, but it's, it's, it gets the point. Okay, that was written in 1688 in the book Confusion of Confusions. So if, uh, if you're bombing because you bought a bunch of bonds and they went to zero, you know, grow up. Yeah. You fucked up. Don't wipe your booger on somebody else. Okay. Um, you know, and, and just as an example uh, of old Chestnut not getting on his soapbox, uh, I'll give you a couple examples of things I've done, which have, have either avoided disaster or paid some dividends. So the first one is, as you know, without being particular, I traffic in a lot of these bank uh, debt and bank preferreds. Mm -hmm. And uh, consequently, uh, Old Chestnut has underperformed recently. Um, Want to elaborate on that? No. Uh, I, I already had to elaborate on it in the weekly uh, Saks risk meeting and explain to the missus why every, everything was up and we were down. Did you bring uh, up the gold? Did you say, but, but, but my gold? The lead metal? I'm, I'm going to trademark that. I don't even want to talk about that fucking thing. Although, actually, there was something I read today. Maybe we'll come back and talk okay, about okay, it. But, um, let's talk about the reading the fine print. So in one of these bank uh, debt prospectuses, I've gone through, and somebody made me aware of this thing like three years ago. And I, I fell in love with the thing because it looked, it looked pretty good. Yeah, yeah. But as I read through it, okay, there is a carve out and it goes like this. Most uh, bank preferreds are treated as qualified dividends, which means they get a preferential tax treatment. Um, for whatever reason, these securities, they're not qualified dividends, so they're treated as ordinary income. But in that, uh, what is it? the special codicil to the favor constitution, giving the dean unlimited rights in times of... Mm -hmm. So in, in there it said, just so you know, whether this security pays the dividend or omits the dividend, you're still getting taxed on the dividend. Wow. And, you know, that gave me a great deal of pause because imagine owning a security and you're paying tax on money you're not getting. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. But I read it and it, it, it resonated. And, and so that, that's in my calculus of how much of these bonds I want to own. Um, in a more pleasant example, from time to time, I talk about the muni bond market. And I always warn people, very risky, very dangerous, exceptionally high default rate. Um, I think the default rate is something of like 1% or 2%, you know, wickedly high, very dangerous, very complicated, yeah. you know, stay away. Okay, leave it to the professionals. Go, go to EM instead. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but years ago, there were these bonds called the J.C. Bradford bonds. Yeah, you love these and bonds. I, 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 you know, we went in the back seat and had some heavy petting. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Gail. Um, no, I, I, I fell in love with these bonds. But what happened was they were issued, and the uh, bond council it was thought might have screwed something up, which would make them taxable. Now, a tax-exempt bond and a taxable bond of the same credit trade at very different prices. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, panic spread amongst the denizens of the municipal bond market, and these things got super cheap. Yeah. I mean, they, they basically took them to where they would be if they were taxable. Yep. Which means you sort of got a free call. Yeah, yeah. If, okay. As long now, as you brought the, as long as you brought the lawyer in to prove it, right? Well, worst case scenario was you paid an income tax on them. Right, right. So, okay. they, so they drove them to where they were equal to the taxable equivalent. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um so instead of just saying, what the heck, they're cheap enough. Uh, we went, we hired an outside tax attorney, and he said, you know, based on what we're seeing, uh, they're not going to make an issue of this. Yep, I remember. No, no guarantees. And then we went out and hoovered them. Um, <laughs> I mean, er everybody in the firm, everybody outside yeah. the firm. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, everything that fucking moved, we bought. Yeah, the kids and cousins, I know. <laughs> yeah. And lo and behold, they turned out that the IRS sort of said they weren't going to make a pronouncement, which meant, you know, kind of like what happens to guys uh, with the crypto. They pay a fine, but they don't admit or deny any guilt, even though they rob people of billions of dollars. Anyway, these things fucking ripped. And I think the last one matures. In 2025, of course, I was way too smart to hold on. I made, I took out my clean one or 200 basis points and patted myself on being so smart and then watched him rally another two or 300. <laughs> That's a story for another day. Um, speaking of munis, you know, I, I, I have two brokers and uh, one is like the local mm -hmm. team. Mm -hmm. And uh, one is the bulge bracket team. And, mm -hmm. and I, I try and do business so everybody, um, everyone feels like they get a little something. Mm -hmm. So um, why is that? Right? You need the power. Do you, you need the power of the bulge bracket? You got to keep them around? Yeah, I got to keep them around. Yeah. Okay. They, uh, you know, they, they do things uh, yeah, that right. other people can't do. And, and you know, I, and I, I've known the guy a long time. Understand. And he's yep. uh, a good guy. And and so for those of you burdened with XF's wealth and you want to figure out how to, um, for instance, leave money to future generations, well, they have a lot of experience with that. And they've got one guy in there. Uh, I won't mention his name, but just 
the guy is spectacular. Understood. And and so when you get into some of these tangential things that you can't get from your Charles Schwab guy, mm-hmm. you know, that's where you need the the cutting edge people. Yeah. Um so uh you know I, <clears throat> in one place I'm a big account and in another place I suspect I'm kind of the poor cousin, but you know Perfect. It's a good balance. That's fine. But I, I try and I'm try and do as, as best I can. Yep. Um, but uh, so I was doing some trading on some kind of plain vanilla stuff. So, of course, I want to do it at the local broker because their commissions are like 85 percent lower than the bulge bracket. Okay. Um, and uh, the phone rang three times. Which never happens. I was going to say, and yeah. and uh, I hung up and I dialed back, and the owner of the firm picked up, which never happens. Okay. And the first thing was when he heard it was me. It was an expression of anxiety, because I'm used to working with Her. his his two expert execution people. Mm-hmm. And I know he's afraid I'm going to try and give him an order, right? Mm-hmm. So panic sets in. I was like, it's okay. It, it's okay. He said, I'm sorry it took so long to pick up the phone. Wait for it. He said, we were listening to your podcast. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I've, I've heard every fib in the book. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not falling for that one. And he's like, no, no, you don't, you don't understand. He says, we love it. And in fact, I make my daughter listen to it. And so. <laughs> Dude, surreal. Surreal. He, if he's kidding, I, he's hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fine. It, they actually, I think I, I, I'm convinced they listen. Yeah. I mean, why not? Hey, yeah. you know, I mean, who doesn't want to listen to 10 minutes of fish? But um, I don't know if I ever told you a story the first time I heard somebody lie on Wall Street. No. It was. It, it wasn't any major sort of thing, but it was the first epiphany as an eighteen-year-old that you know, I people won't tell the truth. Imagine that. So yeah. I'm, I'm I'm working for this muni bond broker, and uh, there were three guys: Henry, Dick, and. Uh, I forget the other guy's name. So anyway, the phone rings and Dick picks up and it's a client. And Dick says to Henry, so-and-so's on the line. And Henry's like, I don't want to talk to him. So Dick says, okay. And he picks up the phone and says to the client, Oh, uh, Henry just picked up another one. Can I have him call you back? Yeah, yeah. Now I'm watching this thing unfold and I'm like, Henry's not on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> this is not my beautiful house. <laughs> um, it morphed all the way towards the end of my stay at Greenwich Capital, where mm-hmm. I, I may have talked about this too. So for those of you not familiar with the old school telecommunications, we would have this board in front of us that 
would have something in the neighborhood of 120 keys buttons on it i'm not talking about the one two three four five six it would be like garban canter right okay but they'd be open they'd be open lines yep. so for instance if you're sitting at your desk and i'm sitting 10 feet over from you and i see you're on a line okay i can pick up that line and i can listen in unless you go through a series of keystrokes which is painful and locks out any okay so i discovered a couple of the people on the desk were listening in to the to the phone calls of course of course so, I'm, so, listening. Um, I'm listening to everything i can <laughs> yeah so anyway uh all right. Let's let's proceed, shall we? You, you were to, what, what do you? Where were you going with your two brokers? That you use your your big the big boy, the big bully, and then your little boutique shop. What, what, where were you? What was I doing? Yeah, where were you going with that? Where were you going with that? Where? What was your? You were talking about using the two different brokers. Did you have some? Well, I no, I, I just wanted to mention how um, <laughs> they were listening and the the concept that the brokers don't tell the truth. Hey, I, mean, I got I got news for you. Some guys at the big at your other shop listen too. I know that for a fact. <laughs> oh really? Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, you know, I as I mentioned, I got a two-hour ride in yesterday, and that I, I made it specifically two hours because as a cyclist, you will appreciate this. I've been noticing I've been doing a lot of one and one and a quarter hour rides. And you know. Because of the nature of the training, guys like you and I have done for all these years, it, it literally now takes me an hour of riding before my legs start to open up. And yeah, yeah. Uh, so I thought, you know what? Instead of going out and riding hard for an hour, go out and just ride. Just turn the pedals over. And then, you know, the second hour, try and push it a little bit more not a lot but a little bit more and i and i i got a very very nice ride in you know it was the longest ride in a while and you know 18 miles with 2100 feet of climbing is pretty steep yeah right because mm -hmm. it's not 18 miles straight up it's mm -hmm. you know so it's 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 probably a six seven percent grade um the mistake i made was not so much the ride but when I came home, uh, Cheryl had taken out of the freezer another hunk of Shannon's brisket, which I freaking devoured. And that was the end of me. <laughs> the rest, oh, we literally, <laughs> I literally didn't leave the house the rest of the day. <laughs> good. Yeah, no, it was, it was good. That guy could fucking cook, man. Unbelievable. Um, but as part of the ride, I've noticed there are more houses here for sale, um, which, you know, how I feel about real estate brokers. And I thought just as a uh, important uh, thing I wanted to bring up, which I've mentioned many, many times, and I know that in your age group, people are now 
even though housing is at all time unaffordables, you know, it's idiosyncratic. One person only needs one house and, and it may work for you. But um, I wanted to reiterate that um, I've yet to meet a real estate broker that hasn't lied to me. Now, that doesn't mean they're not good people. Um, it does to me, but, you know, that's prejudice. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the important thing to know is an example of why they, I, I don't trust these people and neither should you is, it's my understanding, and now that I have a lawyer in the family, I'll see if she will confirm this, but the real estate broker that takes you around and is your friend and takes you to coffee and picks you up and asks how your kids are doing, they don't work for you. Did you know that? I did know that, yes. <laughs> okay. So for those of you who don't know that, they don't work for you. They work for the seller. And so I think there's even a chance that they may be obligated. There may be a chance they may be obligated to withhold information that could affect your decision. I'm, I'm not saying that's, you know, written on the wall. I am saying it definitely gives them latitude to drag their pivot foot. Oh yeah. So um, as you know, uh, the raping and pillaging of widows and orphans, by not just me, but my brother Mark too, has yielded a result for us. And uh, I've been blessed with the ability to have excess funds. And so, you know, one of the things people do when they start making money, it's, it's, the, it's the same pattern. You know, first is, you know, for, for guys, it's they buy an expensive car. Then if they are married, it's jewelry for the wife, expensive vacations picking up the dinner check, then they get the big house. Um, and uh, uh, so success came to me at a relatively young age. And, and uh, I became hooked on a drug called air charter at the age of 35. And uh, they don't have a Alcoholics Anonymous for that. You know, it's just, it's just one of those things, right? So, yeah. so for five or six years, we're chartering aircraft and um, you write a check and you go. And, and of course, you can't outrun your mm -hmm. genetics. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering, hey, wait a minute. You know, maybe it would be less expensive just to buy a plane. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, Cheryl being a CPA, uh, we kind of pushed the numbers around. And when you looked at an after-tax effect, you weren't going to get rich on it, but it, it, it made enough money that it, it felt like it was worth doing. So, you know, uh, 
it was left to me at this point to go find an airplane. And the man that we knew in the business said, look, you, you should go get a, a, a buyer's broker. And I'm like, what? He goes, you, you go find someone and uh, they work on your behalf and they go find you a, a good airplane. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm like, I got to be honest with you. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. I mean, the, the sellers pay the broker. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to pay a guy. And so I go out on my own and we find a plane and we buy it and we close and or the day before we close it's like 911 right you know the so the price of the plane dropped by like 30% before we even took delivery of it. anyway um the plane was fine but there were a lot of glitches mm-hmm. in it sort of so anyway we learn by doing and it comes time that we need to um I think at this point, we actually decide to buy a second one because oddly enough, used airplanes can be shockingly inexpensive. Yep, yep. Like you, you could go buy a Learjet now, $600,000. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. Not that, not that that's not a lot of money, but you think, you know. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, this time, uh, I'd take my friend's advice and I, I I meaning we Cheryl and I we hire a buyer's broker and uh it was relatively expensive I believe uh, but you only paid if he found your plane yep. okay so we get through this process and I realized what a fucking mistake it was not having done it the first time yeah. Like I easily blew half a million bucks by being. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I don't know that I would do that with a house per se, but just understand that, you know, everybody is incentivized to get you to buy that house. Oh, absolutely. The mortgage broker, the real estate broker, everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a, just a word of, Word of caution, not much uh, to do with the markets, but I feel, you know, as a public service uh, announcement. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess there's some other things in the market maybe we could talk about. I know you like to go, is it chronologically or in date order? Sequentially. Sequentially. Okay. So, um, Sunday, Monday was the uh, AT1 bonds. Yes. And, and we talked about that. Um, Wednesday, Chairman Powell spoke, right? They raised rates 25 basis points, as you predicted the weekend before. Um, so I'm sitting at my post, and the headlines come across. and. Uh, I've got my little group of guys that I talk to right at certain mm-hmm. releases or whatever. And uh, the first thing I type to one of these guys, two words, both in quotes, 
The first word in quotes was some, and the second word in quotes was maybe. Mm-hmm. And that to me told you the whole story right there. Meaning we're not forecasting definite hikes. We're not sure that, you know, how many they're going to be. But that was the, not the blink or the towel or the whatever, but that to me was sort of the line that says, there's enough going on now that I think we're, you know, nearing the end of the rate increases. Um, I believe we talked about this recently. Uh, You know, my memory is not what it once was. And one thing I noticed, and why I always say the P&L clerks are always right, is because the traders have a shitty memory. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think one of the things we talked about was a tightening of loan standards. Yep, and you got that and, and so, this week, yep. Yeah, so Paul correctly talked about what's going on in the banking industry was going to cause a constriction in lending. Mm-hmm. And constriction in lending hurts small business the most because they don't have access to the capital markets. And so I think uh, that's an indication that the they're, I mean, they're data dependent. Lag, uh, lagging indicators. Well, payroll's a lagging indicator, right? And, uh, you know, I know uh, I talk a lot about regional surveys, and as one of our friends pointed out, that's more manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we said at some point, we expected manufacturing to recover first because that's what happened with the COVID. Everyone out and bought a bunch of shit, depleted the inventories. Okay. Everyone stopped going to the dentist or the, you know, whatever, the piano teacher, so on and so forth. Okay. So that would recover later. So, one of the things that caught my eye in the journal is um, they talk about freight rates, you know, multimodal, mm-hmm. intermodal. Yep. Uh, yep. Apparently, the, the rates of moving products, not goods and not, not services, but products, the rates have collapsed and therefore they're moving less stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, will that translate into an immediate? drop in prices, probably not immediate. Maybe even if it doesn't drop, it just stops going up, okay? But I think the pressure is off the manufacturing uh, stuff. And right now the pressure's on the service sector, which is gonna include things like restaurants. And, I would suspect construction a bit and then, you know, other services, for instance, accounting, mm-hmm. getting accountants now is, is very difficult. And, and so those will take a while to reconfigure themselves. And um, so I think we're working our way through the system. And 
You know, I went on a few times last week talking about that Lacey Hunt interview. And I I did go through and I uh, rewatched it. And, and I do believe, with one exception, he's nailed it. And his point was, you know, we're going to see slowing in the economy and slowing inflation, you know, Q2, Q3. Now, the one asterisk here is the Silicon Valley Bank thing has interjected billions and billions of dollars in the financial system, which is, if I have it right, it's sort of a quantitative easing, basically. which, which I think has put a bit in the stock market for the time being. Mm-hmm. But I think that that too shall pass. Um, so I'm, you know, with the exception of the fact that credit spreads have widened a bit, I still like, you know, my situation of having floaters, which are tied to short rates inversely, mm-hmm. and then the long dated paper. And I'm, I'm kind of, kind of sticking to that um, for now. Um, one thing about the Silicon Valley Bank thing that that strikes me as odd, and as we've seen, Gary Gensler, it, between him and Kathy Wood, I don't know. It's like that saying, you know, <laughs> better to keep your mouth shut than to open it and have people be convinced you're a fucking moron. Yeah, remove so, all. So, yeah. so Gary Gensler, instead of paying attention to Tether and Bitcoin and yada, 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 he's making noise about Chris Rokos over in London in a unregulated hedge fund. Yeah, yeah. Gary, mind your own business. I, if, if I'm Rocos, I don't take the call. <laughs> who yeah, about who uh, about yeah, what? I, I, who about I, well, what? I guess you have to take the call because Gensler could just freeze okay. assets here. Yeah. But you know, you know, what's that phrase I like so much? In fact, our webmistress used it the other day. She didn't get it right, but you know, mind your fucking panel. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think she phrased it as mind your board, which, okay. by the way, kudos, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. But hey, Gary, stick your fucking knitting yeah. and uh, worry about what's going on over here. You got you got a full plate. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, bag. He's busy bagging Lindsay Lohan for for <laughs> for hawking whatever the fuck. I mean, leave the, yeah. the poor broke woman alone. Okay. <laughs> I told you how I yes. took the girls yes. And, yes. and she stumbled down with Coke Classic. falling out of her nose. Yeah, it's like that's one of those Kodak moments. Okay. Yeah. Abe and Arthur's. That was yeah. the restaurant. Um, no longer there. Yeah. Um, I think Mark and Eugene were the guys that uh, from 10 June. Okay. Uh, wow. You know, the place you and I used to go clubbing before we were married. Jesus, dude. <laughs> Am I dating myself? That was real. Dude, that place was really cool. Okay. <laughs> you have to be really cool to get in there. That was like boldface page six, like Morris Sachs at 10 June in the in the I'm, v- I'm, unbelievable. Yeah, that <laughs> 10,000 bucks for a bottle of vodka. Why not? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um <clears throat> anyway. Uh Excuse me while I try and uh, gather my thoughts. Okay. 
I know we wanted to talk about accounting, but there's a more pressing matter, yes. which is one-day options. Thank you. Would you like to talk about those? Yes. Yes. Okay. Tell me, tell me everything you know. <laughs> well, I know they're going to create a systemic failure. That's dude. That's the headline, right? That is the headline. All right. They've their popularity, and just like these banks, when their when their deposit and value skyrockets in a small window of time, these zero fatal expiry options went from tools, you know, to popular to popular to popular to now they're driving the market. So I'll I'll shut up and you go ahead, please. Well, so uh, I think there's a lot to be learned here. And I apologize in advance if I don't uh, get every round peg in the round hole, but um, keeping in mind, you get what you pay for. So here we go. Um, the thing about these one day options is you can go in and you can pick an option and you can buy it and you pay your premium and that's it, you're, you're done, meaning that's the most you can lose. Now, in all likelihood, you're buying that option from either a professional market maker or an algorithm. Yeah. I've been removed from this too long to know which, but it's one or the other. It's yeah. not, little Liam sitting there with the Tesla 240 calls that expire in a day, hoping that he can get the dollar 82 form. Ken in the army. <laughs> so what these guys do, and I do remember this from the days when I worked in the bank and we had, the bank had a big swaption book, which is an option on a swap, but what you do is you, you take all these diverse positions of options and you put them in uh, something equivalent to an Excel spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be a computer program, not an Excel spreadsheet because uh, a computer program is hard coded where if, you type something wrong in an Excel spreadsheet um, and it gets saved, that error will get saved. And um, that's another story that happened to me for another time. And of course, uh, I remember it because I was on the wrong end of it, but yep, yep. <laughs> maybe, you know how Kevin has an after party? Mm -hmm. Maybe in the after party, we can talk about it. Um, anyway, so what happens is whoever are these professional market makers, they get a, a massive book in these options of different maturities, different securities and different strikes. And because there's so many different securities they need to deal with, that program will distill it down into some metrics for them. And they would be, for a simple term, ratios. So um, this is where uh, being an expert in calculus, sarcasm, 
really paid in for me because so you have an option pricing formula. Another word for formula might be model. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you plug in a bunch of variables and it spits out some ratios for you. The first one is called the delta. And for those of you who know calculusly, calculus as intimately as Liam and I do, you know delta is the first derivative and it's the rate of change. The second derivative, gamma, is the rate of change of the delta. For those of you keeping score at home, the gamma is the rate of change of the rate of change. You with me so far? Mm -hmm. It's okay, you can go back and mm -hmm. listen to this, okay. And the third, which in one day options isn't highly valuable would be theta, yep. uh, which I'm guessing is the third derivative, but this is where my math skills really show up. And I have no idea if it's a third derivative or not, but I do know that it's what uh, uh, people call time decay. Yep. Meaning how much of that option price is left with um, uh, due to how much time it has until expiration. Mm -hmm. Kevin Muir likes to refer to things as the theta reaper, which is why he insists on being short options. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I, I, I was young and foolish once too. No. Um, anyway, what are we getting at? So you, you're a trader at a firm and you've got 3,000 positions in various stocks. And I suspect you could make it uh, a little more precise. For instance, maybe you group the utilities into one bucket. Maybe you put uh, consumer goods in another bucket. So you can fine tune it a little bit. But basically, if you're short these options, and my guess is the retail guys are the ones coming in and buying these things, right? So you have a huge short option position, which lasts for a day. Okay, so that's, that's the good news. The rest of the stuff is bad news, depending on you know, whether you have your own equity in the firm or not. Okay, let me explain why, which is really gonna be nothing more than repeating stuff we've said earlier. But it's worth talking about because it blends into other things, <clears throat> including, and please remind me if I forget how risk managers these days uh, manage risk and why I think they're impotent at it. Um, not a great word, but I think it expresses how I feel. So you can go to our website and uh, ivwok.com. IBWOC.com. Okay. There is, and I've referred to this before. So if you didn't listen to me previously, I'm sure you won't this time either. But this part of time, I'm going to read to you the part that I think so. Now, this is the paper written by Merton. And it's called Option Pricing with Discontinuous Returns. Okay. 
If you don't know what discontinuous is, we'll get to it. But the couple of parts I underlined, uh, and I'll try and read them to you. One is um, that options are convex and in most probabilistic range, the Black-Scholes estimate, meaning the model to calculate the value of an option, the Black-Scholes estimate will be smaller than the true value. So nobody uses just Black-Scholes anymore. We don't need to discuss why uh, not material to this conversation because it's all the same no matter what model you use, what I'm gonna talk about. But continuing on, reading from the paper. However, the possibility of a large finite jump in price significantly increases this probability and hence makes the option more valuable. English, right? Okay. Here's the killer and which by the way, I think you used <clears throat> before and uh, it's moreover, <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm -hmm. These differences will be magnified as one goes to short maturity options. Okay. So, um, you know, uh, it's kind of hard to have anything shorter than a zero day option. <clears throat> you said danger. I said grave danger. You said, is there any other kind? Um, so now you have <clears throat> epic, if not biblical, size in these things, right? And so let's go back to Mr. Option Market Maker. So basically what he has to do is, if on balance he's short all these options, he's not probably, he's probably, not sitting there at nine in the morning, waiting till three with his fingers crossed, hoping nothing moves, you know? Yeah. As the market jiggles, he rehedges to keep his ratios. Remember that delta? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's, that's the delta. And over short moves, the deltas stay relatively constant. So if the stock goes down a point at the money, the delta will be 0.5. You sell half what you need to your risk. You're good. Assuming the market doesn't move. If it goes up after you sold it, you you buy some of it back and you lost a little money, but you get to keep the option premium, right? If the market goes down, you have to sell a little more because your, your delta is going up, right? Yeah. Now this is over very short uh, price moves. You get a big price move. That's where the next uh, Greek letter, <clears throat> gamma comes in. So, and let's take the typical experience where the market's going down. As the market goes down, 
the option market maker sells, depressing the price. Yep. As the price goes down, not only does the delta go up, it goes up <clears throat> more because of the gamma. Yep. <clears throat> and as the delta goes up, the gamma goes up. Yeah. Right? Now you get into a now you get into a, a potential feeding frenzy. But when you read these papers, you don't need to worry no, 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 no. because of the assumptions they built in. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, assumption one is uh, markets are continuous, meaning you could trade at every price. Yep. Yep. Although the title of the paper I just read is option pricing with discontinuous returns. Uh, regardless, um, all of these models, <clears throat> I believe, including the ones that the current risk management guys use, assume that markets are continuous, that you can rehedge at every price. Mm -hmm. Meaning, if your model says if the stock goes to 100, you need to sell this. The model assumes you can sell it at 100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Not true. Not true. Got it. The second thing is uh, that your act of rehedging <clears throat> has no effect on the market. That's not true either, <clears throat> right? If you sell, yep. that's going to push the price down. Yep. Or if you're supposed to sell to get your delta hedged and, you know, you need to sell 20 contracts and you stick it at a price of 18 and that Russian algorithm puts them in at 17.999, which yeah. is a retail investor or whatever you can, you're not allowed to trade at, you can't execute your prices. Mm -hmm. okay. So that in and of itself is reason enough to know that these things don't work. But I've got better reasons. <clears throat> and um, you remember a while ago, I told you that story about the soup and with my mom and, and, and the soup being cold. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I got three or four stories like that, which I'm not going to share with you. Mm -hmm. But the soup was an odd lot compared to that. I mean, we're talking about being in a home with, you know, domestic violence, abuse, right? Mm -hmm. And so... I've been through a number of these situations where rationality breaks down. Okay. Now, I'm not going to tell you I, that means I behave rationally in a crisis. But I can tell you, I know behaving rationally in a crisis is not an assumption that you can make. Yep. Ever. So Ever. Ever. Now, now you got a guy managing this massive position of options, something comes up, Russia nukes Ukraine, okay? 
The next trade is the spoos go from 4,000 to 2,800. This guy should have sold 500 million shares of stock on the way down and he sold nothing. He's blown through his daily loss limit, his weekly loss limit, his monthly and his yearly loss limit. And he's just waiting for the guy from personnel to come and pull his badge. Mm -hmm. okay. What kind of decision-making mindset is that person going to have? Okay. So when we go back to the one-day options, okay, you're going to have a day where something like that's going to happen. And I can prove it to you because we had, I believe it was a six standard deviation event in the move in a two-year yield. Now, I don't have it up in front of me, but but I'm guessing a six standard deviation event. Uh, I just look it up. Six SD event. Well, I'm getting something from Broadway. So uh, let's just say for the sake of argument, the six standard deviation event is supposed to happen every million years. Yep. Are you looking it up? Yeah, go ahead. But, but talk, go ahead. Okay. So let's say it happens every million years. These option models aren't designed for six standard deviation events. Two parts, 1.4 million years, okay? A, a six standard deviation event. Mm. Okay, 1.4 million years? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we've had a number of those in the past couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. So that tells you. No, 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 no. I've got a different answer. How often does a six standard deviation event occur? The probability of such an event happening would be about, dude, it's it's a it's an equation, or twice in a billion. Twice in a billion. Let's let's agree that it's longer. One a six standard deviation event should only happen never in our lifetime. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Let's just make it simple. So. We're having these things all over the place. Yeah, we yeah, in a week. One thing uh, we discovered in our research back at Grunge Capital was if you have a six standard deviation event, it makes it more likely you're gonna have another one. It's coming, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I met with one of my former colleagues uh, this week. He was in uh, Arizona. And there's an option model that I thought might be of value. And it's called a Garsh model. And Garsh is like general autocorrelative, blah, 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 blah. But basically what it attempts to do is say that option volatility, the implied volatility that you pay for an option, is not static, it's dynamic. And I thought, well, maybe if there's a way you can price an option. And when I spoke to my former colleague, he actually said, it seems like I know more about the Garsh model than he does. 
which is not great. Secondly, he said he doesn't believe there's a closed form equation for it. And I nodded like I knew what he was talking about. I think what he meant was <clears throat> there's not an equation that you can get an answer out of. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think any of these option models are appropriate in extreme circumstances. Talking about the risk managers, and I'm not talking about the old school guy like me who got out, you know, the yellow pad of paper, and I drew a line down the middle, like that old Abraham Lincoln thing. And on the left, I put on trades that make me money in an up market. On the right, I actually the other way around. The left would be the down market trades, and the right would be the yeah. up market trades. Oh, yeah. And I would always make sure that I was 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 balanced. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's not how these guys, at least in my experience, do this. They throw all the positions and they back test them with data. Yep. And so they'll go back and they'll say, well, the 200 you know, prior days, this is the most you could lose. And then they'll take specific scenarios, like what happened during Bear Stearns or what happened during Lehman. And, and then they'll assign traders limits based on the value of risk calculation that gets spit out. Let me read um, just one sentence. Each, okay, when assessing risk, when assessing risk, financial institutions incorporate Garch models into their VAR maximum expected loss, whether for a single investment or trading position portfolio or at a division or firm-wide level over a specified time period. Garch models are, are viewed to provide better gauges of risk that can be obtained through tracking standard deviation alone. Oh, good. Okay. So um, but I think that- more, yeah. let, me, let me just read one more sentence. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Studies have been conducted on the reliability of various Garsh models during different market during different market conditions, including during the periods leading up to and after the Great Recession. So you can just take Great Recession out and put in whatever 2020, right. you know, spring of 23. Where how'd yeah. your how'd your Garsh model do last week? And how did it do? Did I'm asking. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't run it. But one thing I realized with this discussion with my colleague is conceptually, the Garsh model makes a lot of sense to me, right? What happened yesterday is much more likely to affect tomorrow than what happened five years ago. Okay. But when we're talking about moves, of even two or three standard deviations, okay? The probability of those things is so small, I'm hard pressed to see how you're gonna get a massively different valuation. And as I said to you offline at one point, your model can spit out whatever you want, but the price you're gonna trade at is the price in the market, mm -hmm. right? You can take it or leave it, but if your job is to be a market maker, you you got to have prices up there. And if your prices aren't good, 
then eventually they're going to get rid of you. Yeah. You know, one of, one of those early lessons being a trader continental bank, you know, short agency trader, the long agency trader, the literally the first day. So we're sitting on the trading desk and the salesmen are like a horseshoe around us. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's like eight traders and there's like 25 salesmen. And, um, what was this guy's name? Ken, uh, it'll come to me. Mm -hmm. Oh, he said, stand up. And we stood up so you could see the whole floor. And he said, there's eight of us and there's 25 of them, meaning salesmen. He said, you don't have to do every trade with every salesman, but you have to do one out of every three. Because if you don't, they're going to go to the sales manager and they're going to say, he sucks. Yeah. And if enough people do that, the sales manager goes to the trading manager and the trading manager goes to the trader and says, people are complaining about you. So get it together, get some trades done, or you're gone. Yeah, wow. So there's pressure to do trades, yep. right? Okay. Yep. So in, in any event, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not really tying this together in, in as good a way as I'd like, but people have gotten very much hooked on this notion of, there's truth in math and math is math. I mean, there's no, there's no uh, debating that. Um, but what I would like to introduce into the concept is that, you know, it, it's like people say, well, if that happens to me, I'm going to do this. Well, you might, you know, you know, someone could say, well, if I was, 10 and my mother was screaming at me as my soup cold, I would have done this. You might have, but it wasn't you and you, and you don't know. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, I've had experiences where I've gone to bed and woken up and uh, the JGBs are an example. I got the quote sheet and every single cash JGB was unchanged. And the futures were down 75 cents. We lost $25 million overnight. And I, at first, I like I, I thought it was a mistake. Like this, they're, they're on, how can, how can they be unched? And, and I have it, I've probably shown it to you. And no. And it was a case. It was a case of the Japanese banks ganging up on the gaijin, and uh, you know that, that's a story for another day. But uh, you know, to have the experience of seeing, and, and that day, that was I think in June, and that wiped out my year, and um, I mean, you know. Uh, it wasn't a great moment for me, but uh, I had a good. Loathe those JGBs. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is that why you still loathe those JGBs, and you get annoyed. That's, Kevin Muir. That's, <laughs> that's the Afghanistan of empires. Those JGBs. I know. Um, 
But I guess the point I'm trying to make is, you know, I was in the best of circumstances, mm-hmm. meaning I only lost what I was up. That's number one. Number two, I was a partner at a firm that this type of trade was bread and butter to what we did. Number three, I had street cred with my partners out the ass, right? How's that going to play at some schmo hedge fund? Like, let's take, I'm going to say a name. It might get me in trouble, but fuck it. My understanding is that like millennium, you hit your number, you're out. End of story, no discussion, which is fine. That's their model. They're very successful. Izzy makes a ton of money. What happens when your number is three? And because you've got this continuous event, you're down 16. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I guess it's Izzy's problem. Because yeah. uh, at that point, you know, you know, here's the door. So yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, once again, I, uh, I think the economy will slow. Um, I think the curve is attempting to normalize. Getting there. Um, it was exciting to see Kathy Wood trying to explain to people why losing money was a good thing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Bloomberg ran it as a headline. <laughs> Remember last week, I uh, I think I told you we were watching that movie as good as it gets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, kids put the muffs on. Yeah. So basically, um, Diane Keaton is, uh, I don't know whether she's the protagonist or the antagonist, but she's one of the main players. And anyway, long story short, um, she does the nasty with Jack Nicholson. And she has this emotional breakdown and all of a sudden she gets her shit together. I think that's what Kathy Wood needs. I think. (laughs) What what would Anthony call that? A good rogering? Yeah, a good rogering. (laughs) Okay. Speaking (laughs) of can I plug his charity? Are you cool with that? Yeah, fire. Yeah, go ahead. All right, good. Because the first, so Anthony Peters, anyone that listens to the show, you guys know that Morris and I are tight with Anthony and we read him every day. We hijack his material like other people do to ours. Um, and we've sent out the list so that you can get on Anthony's Anthony's newsletter. But every year he does, he, he'll do a charity where he'll, he'll pick a charity, a local charity, and he'll publicize it. And his readers will come out in droves and they'll blow through the whatever. It was six grand, it's at 11 or whatever it is now. All right. This year he's picked Chipping Norton Rugby Club, which like to me is not exactly little sisters of the poor down in the South Bronx. Chipping Norton is a little bit of uh, it's a different neighborhood. But anyway, that's where Anthony's lives. That's his charity that he's donated to. It's on Just Giving. It's ADMP's annual Good Morning Fundraiser. All right. I'll post a link on the Twitter. But he posted it at whatever 445 East Coast time on Monday morning. By the time I woke up and read the first person to give a dollar to that charity was one of our listeners, Chris. So the first name on the list is Christopher Ahart and IBWOC. So I want to thank IBOC, IBWOC guys for showing up. They did it for my charity in Ireland. They've done it for Anthony before. 
And so here we are, we're at what, Saturday afternoon, one o'clock in the afternoon. It's still live. So I'll post it on Twitter or you can Google it. However you figure it out. It's just giving is the website, ADMP's annual good morning fundraiser. All right, I'll put it on Twitter. So kick him some money. He's at 11,000. He doubled the goal. All right. It shouldn't be a shock. All right. Anyone that read his note, kicks him a couple bucks. Anyone that listened to the show, kick him, to him, kick him a couple bucks. All right. Well, thank you for that. Thank you, Anthony, for writing those notes. We're indebted to you. I know everyone. And there's got to be the silent majority of people. Like he notes that readers reply to his emails. I never answer his emails. I read them and I go about my day. But the silent majority of people do that. And people do that with our show where they don't reach out and thank you. So if you're one of those people that just listens and signs out, that's awesome. Great. And if you read Anthony's note and you go about your day, great. But now's your chance to kick him a couple bucks um, and say thank you to Anthony for that because he's been a, a it's, he gives it away for free. It's just like Morris. It's, it's a gift. So you can thank him by kicking him a couple of dollars. Um, that would be very nice of you. Thank you. So again, thank you to all the IBWOC listeners. If you want to leave a comment on Morris's website, ibwoc.com or you can email me at insidebaseballcast at gmail we've got a lot of good stuff this week you guys really lit up the phone um when uh marco came out and and dropped his note i got a lot i got a lot of emails so thank you to everyone that was paying attention thank you for everyone that listens and and knows where that came from and thank you morris for that for bringing up the yeah i i'm having a i'm having a great time i i just you know i'm discovering um, I'm actually getting a little anxious uh, before these shows now because I, I'm getting more people that I know and um, I'm getting texts and um, one fellow, one, you know, the one fellow texted me about making fun of the CFA not being this hard and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, people telling me their kids are listening and uh <laughs> One one little thing I, I do want to uh, to respond to, or I don't know, let's respond, make a point. So, understanding all old men think they're funny, we are. Yeah. But from time to time, there's some vulgarity on this show. Okay, and I wanted to address that. So. This is what it sounds like being on a trading floor. Okay. The in its way worse. I was gonna say we clean it up. I mean we we, we yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The jokes, yeah, the the <laughs> horrific references. Um I'm not delighted because I'd like to have some pride in my craft, but you know, if you're like a teenager and you're thinking of doing this for your living, yet, you know, the joke about, you know, the altar boy or the Snickers bar or the two Jews walking down the street, if those bother you, go, this is not for you. Um, I mean, the podcast, you're welcome, but don't don't inter- interview it at it, uh, it, it, uh, Wall Street firms because this is. This is life in the trenches. So I've run out of stuff to talk about, my friend. We're going over our time anyway. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, you know, you 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 said again the stock market was up this week, but it still doesn't feel that way. So I, you know, again, I don't yeah. I just I disagree with that. I don't, you know, that's a fact, but I disagree with it. Um, it doesn't feel that way. 
And I keep going back to when you said six more weeks of winter. Dude, it hasn't, uh, other than the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ's officially now in a bull market, I believe, but who cares about the NASDAQ, really? Um, but yeah, six more weeks of winter. You got like another two weeks of chop left. Okay. You're not out, you know, you didn't blow it. So um, I saw an article this morning in the Wall Street Journal that I would encourage uh, people to look at. Basically, there's an accounting firm that's come up with a calculation that can determine uh, that more financial statements have uh, are showing indications of fraud. So let's see, I just wrote down as a note, accounting fraud indicators are increasing. Yeah. Um, you know, my favorite quote, bear markets find the mistakes auditors couldn't. And yeah. by the way, so uh, if, if I may just ask Network to hold for a minute, there's one of these um, newsletters I subscribe to called Doonberg. I think it's Doonberg. Oh, Doon. Anyway, Doonberg. Doon, okay. So we made light of the fact that the nickel exchange had gotten a bag of rocks in it. Yeah. Okay. And I read somewhere that they told the employees, you buy boots with steel tipped toes and you kick the bag. And if your toes hurt, it's nickel. That, that's the litmus test. Okay. So, so wait, but wait, you can see why someone would want to do that with nickel, right? Because it's really expensive and it's easy to carry and it's worth a lot of money, right? Well, Doonberg points out that gold, which that doesn't cost much more than nickel, right? It's about the same. I don't think they put it in bags, Mm. so they probably don't have to kick it. But (laughs) Doonberg has pointed out that Apparently, are, are you sitting down? I, I, I may shock you. Apparently, people are discovering there's large amounts of fraudulent gold circling in the marketplace. Australians, right? I don't like to pick on anyone, and I don't have the specific it's, it's, facts. The headline story: they're they're they're. Their foundry, refinery, whatever they were supposed to send out ninety nine point nine nine gold, and they were sending out ninety nine point nine eight. No, well, there's that, but I, I'm thinking more like China's taking gold, <laughs> lead, and they're they're dipping it. Yeah, oh. yeah. I think so. No, you know, no. So, so I got out my prospectus on oh. GLD. Just as I tell everyone to do. And and basically in GLD, once again, you have to do your own research on this. But the administer of that trust is Bank of New York Mellon. Okay. Okay. So if there's a problem with the gold in the ETF that they're the trustee for, they're they got enough at risk in market value that they're going to make you whole Yep. if there's a problem. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. some of these other funds 
I'm going to use the name Sprott mm-hmm. because it's the only one I know. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Um, I don't know what the story is there, but I'm sure it's a fraction of what the GLD is. And, you know, who's watching the watchers? So, Yikes. I mean, I it's going to be funny. You know how weird shit happens to me all the time? Yeah. And I've been referring to gold as the lead metal. Yes, I know. How's this going to play out? How's this going to play out when they discover it? Everyone's holding these gold bars, and it's nothing more than 90% lead and 10% gold. Jeez, come on. It's not funny. It's not funny. Oh, I think it's hysterical. The chaos? (laughs) It was going to be awesome. So awesome. On brand for you, I can say like, oh, remember when we bought the gold? We called it lead. <laughs> Turned out to be lead. <laughs> this shit happens to me all the fucking time. So, anyway, uh, let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah, let's get out of here. I'll uh, I'll talk to you during the week. All right, my friend. I'll see you soon. <laughs> yeah, take care. Bye.